his daughter constitute the greatest threat that's ever confronted this nation. Suppose lighting fires is merely the tip of the iceberg. Suppose we have a child here who someday is capable of creating a nuclear explosion simply by the power of her will. I suppose there is a little girl out there somewhere today, this morning, who has within her the power someday to crack the very planet in two like a china plate in a shooting gallery. Welcome to Now Playing's Firestarter Retrospective Series. Burn it all down, baby. Burn it all down. Part of the Now Playing Stephen King movie series. Is this experiment being done by the shop? Hosted by Arnie. I'm scientifically rational enough not to form a complete opinion based on two experiments. Stuart. Excitable man. And Jacob. I used to be like everyone else. Now I see everything. Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new installment of the series. And keep coming back as we continue looking at all the Stephen King-based movies. It does matter. Everything matters. It's all connected. These podcasts will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. You have got to control this thing because it's a bad thing. You understand me? A bad thing. Listener discretion is advised. Now look, I'm going to say two words to you and you're going to tell me everything you know about those words. Charlene McGee. Today we're discussing Firestarter, Rekindled, starring Marguerite Moreau, Malcolm McDowell, Dennis Hopper, Ron Perkins, Dan Bird, directed by Robert Iscove. There's two names that meant something to me there. <laughs> this is the now playing podcast host who's ready to fight fire with fire, Arnie. Stuart in LA. This is Jacob. Want me to show you where your thyroid is? How about showing me where the door is on this movie? Jesus Christ. <laughs> what? This is, is this part of our Marvel retrospective? This feels like an X-Men film. No, specifically, it feels like Generation X. Yes. Yeah, man. This is hitting all my sweet spots. Superheroes, <laughs> cheap Stephen King, miniseries on sci-fi. Yeah, really. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. I don't think this ever played theatrically anywhere. We could have skipped this, right? We could have just made Arnie watch it and hear about it last <laughs> week. Yes, I agree. But that's not what we do for King. For King, because there are the acclaimed miniseries like It and The Stand, there is also... <laughs> so it means we have to do the shit, too? <laughs> yes, it does. More of the shit than not these days, I gotta say. Yeah, this is rough. I'll tell you what, just to put it out there, I was going to cram this in last night. Thank God I took it up a couple days ago because I didn't realize how long it was. Not only is it a TV movie, this thing is three hours long. Well, it was a two-night miniseries, and I remember this. It came out in 2002. And I was jazzed. And <laughs> of course, this was honestly my first bad experience with the Sci Fi Network. They weren't doing a lot of original films, but in 2001, they had a huge hit with something I've still never seen. I imagine someday we might do, but they did a mini series of Dune. And all the Dune fans said, yes, this is finally Dune done right after that David Lynch abomination. 
I've read so many positive reviews and online comments saying, this is the Dune to see. People I know in person were telling me this. And so I've still always had a curiosity about that Dune, and they were going to follow it up. They wanted to bring something of equal caliber, of equal quality. Firestarter rekindled. So coming off of the positive word of mouth for Dune, and I wanted to know what happened to Charlie McGee after the last movie. King had always joked she went off and married Danny Torrance and they had super-powered kids, but I wanted to see what they could do. Although now that I'm thinking about it, if Stephen King just took all of his surviving characters and made an X-Men book, I, I might be down for that. I mean, this is Sci-Fi Channel. I thought it could be Carrie versus Charlie. I mean, honestly, where's the team up? Where's Mega Shark versus Octopus? Sharktopus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good point. The other thing that excited me is the cast, though. Now, I didn't know, and I still barely know, uh, Marguerite, but Malcolm McDowell and Dennis Hopper, they were bringing A-listers. Oh, are they slumming it? That was the little pinhole of light on this that okay Dennis Hopper Malcolm and Dow I don't expect this to be good but at least they could chew up some scenery Oof. We'll, we'll talk about it. Hey, they're not encouragement. They both sold their soul years ago. But even here, I'm expecting to like whatever they might do, even though I suspect it will be minimal in the three hours of Firestarter rekindling from the director of She's All That and from Justin Kelly. I have to call out <laughs> that Robert Iscove has never made a horror movie before or since, but he's done a lot of teen musicals. That explains the nightclub scene in this film. <laughs> kind of. It was the kind of the best scene in the movie, but oh, I was laughing the hardest. Yes, yeah, that I think that counts. Yeah, at this point, I didn't realize this was the director of She's All That, a movie that I didn't want to even see, and then liked but hated myself for liking. Malcolm McDowell, his career had been all over the map in the '90s. I mean. He did have Star Trek Generations as probably the high point, but he was also doing a lot of low-rent video game work and stuff like this. Tank Girl. Yes. He at least chewed up the scenery in a fun way in that one. And then Dennis Hopper. I mean, he's just a couple of years away from that Land of the Dead that we did as a donation series a while back. We ripped him a new one in that one. He was looking for a paycheck. Yeah, I don't think we can hope for much out of here. I mean, coming into this, seeing some familiar character actors I like from a different generation made me feel this wasn't going to be some teen she's all that. Because obviously what they're selling on the poster is hot girl and she's going to burn you. They play with that. But uh, honestly, well, we'll talk about it when we get into this plot. And I think the sooner the better. Arnie, you want to tell them what Carrie 2 Rekindle is all about and we can decide whether this is a Remake, sequel, or none of the above? All right, because, yeah, I was wondering the same thing myself. Little Charlie McGee has grown up, and now she's a brunette graduate student played by Marguerite Moreau. Who? <laughs> <laughs> she's on Wet Hot American Summer, apparently. She's working. She was in Lost and four episodes of Parenthood and stuff. I've seen her <laughs> since. I kind of remember her from The Mighty Ducks, where she played the tough-ass chick on the team she's no Alyssa milano no she's not even a samantha mathis <laughs> that burns and i mean that pun that pun is still better than anything in this movie and it was a bad pun still hunted by the shop charlie goes by the name of tommy 
because she can't have a girl's name and is a student at the university where her father underwent the Lot 6 experiments. See, every time Charlie has sex and comes close to climax, <laughs> she can't control her firepower, so shit blows up. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> so, she, obviously, this is frustrating for her, and she wants to find a cure to remove her firepowers. Frustrating for her? What about the one-night stands? <laughs> But also at the university is Skip Tracer Vincent, played by Danny Nucci. He's looking for Charlie, as well as the other survivors of Lot 6. Vincent naively believes he's trying to find these people to pay them a lot of money from a class action lawsuit. But in fact, Vincent doesn't realize he works for the shop, now run by Joel and John Rainbeard. See, Rainbeard didn't die in the fire, but just horribly burned and now looks a lot like Malcolm McDowell. Rainbird has had a vision, and with the new shop boss, Rainbird has discovered Lot 23, which has given him a team of six tweens with psychic powers. Uh, why don't we call them the Generation X-Men? <laughs> uh, and we could call Charlie Rogue, because she can't touch anyone without hurting them. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. There's a Professor X named Paul, who has mental domination, and played by Cougar Town's Dan Bird. A Banshee named Edward. <laughs> Which is what I called them, Banshee. Two telekinetics, because two is better than one. So there's your dream grays, although it's Max and Jack. A blind man who can see the truth, Andrew. And then you have mysterious loner Cody. And it turns out, we'll find out in the movie, Cody's power is he can suck energy away from people. <laughs> he can even stand there and take it while Charlie's dishing out her best fire. I thought you were going to say their power was to suck, and I'm just like, that's everyone's power in this movie. <laughs> this entire movie's power. <laughs> I'm not sure who's the best at it, really. <laughs> With these kids, Rainbird wants to rob a bank. <laughs> Alright, there it goes. I was holding it back, but what the fuck? Yeah, admittedly, they say that's just a test. Yes, it's a test to prove themselves, but before he does it, so there's no interference from anyone, he wants to make sure all of the leftover Lot 6 superpowered people are dead so they don't interfere. So basically, Heroes fans, they ripped off Firestarter. This is Skylar. But when Rainbird finds out from Vincent that Charlie is still alive, he can't resist seeing her because he's in love with her and obsessed. And when Charlie's taken to the shop, she burns her way out, but is beaten by Cody's power and Vincent is captured. Charlie is then found by Lot 6 survivor James Richardson, played by, yes, a slumming Dennis Hopper. Then again, this is post-Mario Brothers. This is actually a step up for him. <laughs> Richardson can see the future and seems to help Charlie by taking her to rescue Vincent. Yet after the rescue, he just takes Charlie and Vincent to Rainbird right as the big bank heist is about to happen. But Rainbird has bigger plans. He orders his X-Men to destroy the town. Charlie doesn't want to get involved, but when normal human Vincent tries to stop the kids and save people's lives, Charlie is inspired to use her powers to kill Rainbird for good this time, turning him to an ashen skeleton and then stop the kids. Vincent dies in the battle, and so the six kids return to the shop, which is now deserted, and Charlie takes off for an isolated mountain in Canada as credits roll. Actually, something about your plot summary that won't be clear to people that haven't seen the movie yet is most of what you just described is told 
In the past tense. And brings me to my first question. Why would you make a three-hour remake of Firestarter with a little bit of modern day she's a 20-something and have half of it be things that you learn in files, in old films, in memories, in dream sequences? Why not tell this chronologically? Because to tell it chronologically would be to have a remake, not a sequel. Well, come on. This is Firestarter rerun. We, We could... Just get this debate out of the way now, and we've gone through at least half of the film. Whatever we talked about last week, that all happened except Rainbird lived. Like, we're going to see almost that entire movie played out again in flashbacks. And not one of them is going to have the impact of a movie that, Jacob, you and I didn't think so highly of. (laughs) No, which is scary. I was watching this thinking the entire time, you didn't like Drew? What do you think of her? You didn't like Rainbird? What do you think of this? Who is this mountain man playing her father? (laughs) Oh, I was ready to turn this off 10 minutes in. No joke. It was hard. It took me two nights to sit down and watch this. It was tough to get through. Yeah, if last week was bad, this is even worse. No joke. I kid you not. I did turn this off 10 minutes in back in 2002. I said, fuck it. I was so excited. I had taken that Sunday. We were doing a Firestarter marathon. We watched the original. We were having grilled food cooked over an open fire to make it a theme night. We watched this and literally 15 minutes. Let's watch something else. Yeah. I'm not kidding. This is my first time watching the 16th minute of this and beyond, and it it was a struggle. Yeah, it is a struggle. I mean, I don't think we need to be coy about whether we're going to recommend this or not. This is a grueling... This earns every bit of sci-fi and makes us think about, yeah, the worst King miniseries. My feeling is, after seeing the cheapness, the shoddiness, the lack of commitment, I think it answers my question. The reason why you don't tell it chronologically and have Night One be a remake of Firestarter and Night 2 be the sequel is because if you had an entire two hours of this little girl trying to be Drew Barrymore, no one would get to the second night. Maybe they would have cast better people if they were more important than just in flashback. But yes, I'm trying to figure out because there's a lot of differences too compared to what happens. It is not a sequel to either the book or last week's movie. It's kind of, I view it like the Incredible Hulk, like the soft reboot. The things that happened to Charlie and her parents are really similar, but there's no finding the mother on an ironing board. Instead, they're at a log cabin and she's shot. It's close enough to for me, though. I mean, they even talk about, oh, we went to the New York Times and they didn't believe us. So here we are. Yeah, but... It was her father with her who went to the New York Times. And the fact that Rainbird survived it all when he clearly didn't either case makes me think that this really is a soft reboot. They're going to do whatever they have to do to bring back the hero and the nemesis from the first movie and try to continue this story in a semi-logical fashion. But yeah, the way it's told, the actors in the flashbacks are really bad. I can't defend a single one of them. Yeah, you'd never make it through a whole two-hour movie with them as the stars. Never. But someone who's actually even worse is Danny Nucci. And I had to look this guy up in IMDb, but I had like a sense memory of him. I'd seen him in stuff. And when I looked him up, this is usually like the comic-y sidekick. I mean, he was in a couple episodes of Just Shoot Me and 
the TV show Snoops, which had Gina Gershon as a, it was a kind of a comedy, sexy mystery series. This guy does funny. And so he is the absolute worst voiceover narrator I have ever seen in my life. When he's reading files and the actor has to read what a file says into a microphone, it's painful. If this guy read an audiobook, you'd return it. He's a strange character to focus on. Again, if this is Firestarter, I want to know about Charlie. Am I crazy? That both times that I'm like, why can't we learn more about this character? And I feel like it's totally hijacked by supporting characters that are never as interesting. But yeah, we have this guy that's the equivalent of a, I'd call him a door-to-door salesman or a census taker. You know, he doesn't even make any sense. He works for a company whose offices are such a shamble. I mean, you wouldn't get your taxes done there. You wouldn't You'd <laughs> turn around and walk out. It's bad for a pyramid scheme. I have to ask, is this the shop? Is this what the shop has become? Yeah. Yeah. The low budget screams everywhere. I'm noticing their ill-fitting suits, yes. how bad the shop looks. Like, yes. it's literally like, yeah, they rented out some warehouse for a day and set up some desks. It would make a poor sweatshop, honestly. I mean, I'd expect better <laughs> office conditions in a brothel than what they have going on here. It's called Sis Operations Incorporated. So this is a rebranded version of the shop. It's supposed to be high-tech, high-budget. We're supposed to believe that they're still all-powerful and a threat. And I thought we were at a law firm at the beginning here because they're trying to track people down to give them checks for a class-action lawsuit. Yeah, I, that was confusing to me. And and the, their whole routine is we're going to send this guy out and he's going to knock on your door and be like, excuse me, you just want a lot of money for sti- us sticking drugs in you? And then he's going to walk away and somebody behind him is going to run in and like shoot him? Well, technically, he states he is not authorized to leave the office. He is told by someone who I think might be his superior to break the rules and leave the office. But his job, he's a skip tracer. Now, A little personal confession, and I wouldn't expect this during Firestarter 2. I am a trained skip tracer. For a full two weeks, I worked in collections, and one week of it was learning the trade. It's a dirty, dirty business, and I learned how to follow people in what is and isn't legal. It is legal to say, yeah, I'm his cousin. Where did he go? To next door neighbors. That's what this guy does, is he sits in an office and finds lost people using his computer, making phone calls, and then once he's found the people, he hands it off to Gil. Rhymes with kill. Yes, he is the killer. And I didn't catch this, and when I thought this movie could get no worse, it went to Reno. And fuck Reno. (laughs) That's that's just, man, low-rent movie right there. That's sci-fi budget going to Reno. And Marjorie points out to me, he's going to kill the woman because... It's never good when a man shows up to your house wearing leather gloves. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess this job was tough pre-Google to go and find people. Uh, This was 2002. There was Google. Uh, That's true, yes. So that's how he did it. (laughs) It's quite a fall, though. I mean, to go from the shop, which, all right, admittedly, it was a bunch of guys in cars driving around asking people and knocking on doors. But you, you had a sense that there was a big organization to now realize it's one guy who's getting every single case for every person that ever participated in the drug trials. And there was a lot more than lot six. There are up to 23 test trials and every single one of them he's going to find them and hunt them down and they're going to be executed i like to think that all the trials seven and up 
they never let the people leave. Like, they kept the ex-kids in a lab. <laughs> that, that's why I assumed at some point they stopped letting them out. Maybe trials 15 to 23. They just killed them when they found out it didn't work. But yes, the older ones, they had to go hunt down and execute them. Yeah, this seems highly inefficient. It does seem bumbling. This guy doesn't seem like the right person to be following. I guess because he's a blank slate and newbie and presumably a portion of the TV viewing audience wouldn't have seen the movie from 1984. They're not going to mind watching him slowly. And I mean really <laughs> slowly. I'm going to mind. <laughs> yeah. I, I Actually, I think everyone's going to mind how long it takes for him to hunt down Charlie, who we cut to every now and then. We do see her in the opening shot, and in a few scenes, she's working in the library under an alias. But she's not really... I think she has some lip service. We find her at one point reading a thesis paper on burning zinc. And I think we're led to believe that this is something that she's a scientist that is actually trying to figure out how to stop her power. Yeah, you said it last week. She's David Banner in the Hulk, and she's looking at people's research into Lot 6. The people who were there and did it published graduate theses. And so she's looking at them, hoping she can find a way to cure what burns inside of her. Yeah, let's talk about the best scene of this entire three-hour film. Is it the one in the library where she's watching two people make out for no reason? These characters who never come back? <laughs> oh, no. There's going to be making out, but it's not them. It's She goes to a dance club because she's a college student. That's what you do. Dancing in a way... She's a hottie. She is hot doing that. And no pun intended, but I wasn't even sure it was her because she'd been a little dowdy and studious. To find her doing this dance alone that's like really sexy. I'm like, what is going on here? No, no, I wrote down least sexy. This is not sexy to me, the way she is gyrating on this dance floor. Oh, I would be all over her like the blonde in that scene. Yes, this was <laughs> hot. This is the only heat the movie generates, is this scene. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it is literally the, the most confidently directed scene. It's again because Robert <laughs> Iscove is from this genre. He makes teens look hot. He makes them dance and sing and, and such. So, yes, it is. What I don't understand is if she is by day trying to find the magic formula, I'm presuming it, she's got beakers and injecting herself <laughs> with stuff. And why? Step number one if you don't want your power to be unleashed why do you put yourself into situations where yes! you're going to be aroused this is what i don't get she ends up with some dude in an alley behind the dance club again i'm thinking these are people that have never had sex pretending to have sex because i don't recognize any of this as things humans actually do <laughs> this gyrating and rubbing she is moaning a lot for a woman with her pants on. Yes, and why would you do this? You know you have this power. You know you're going to burn things up. She starts like a whole building on fire and just calmly walks away. Like, she doesn't regret this. I don't get the sense that she even wants to stop this. No, here's my reading on this whole thing. Maybe she got a little horny watching those two make out in the library and knowing <laughs> she can't. But she went out there and she danced her sexy dance to get a guy. And she was wanting to get off. And she, it looked like she was close to getting off, even though she was gyrating slightly against his navel. Yeah, parts were not lining up. No. And I was wondering, 
did sci-fi make an R-rated cut of this? Would I see nudity? Oh no, this is, it's hot TV sex, but it's TV sex. And then she has to run away so she doesn't kill him. And he's a little pissed off by that uh, for realistic reasons. But when the fire comes, so does she. I take that as a great look of pleasure and she's sighing and heaving as the fires come. I think she got off and it caused a blaze. That's fine, but is this the character we're supposed to now sympathize with that whenever she orgasms, she's going to burn a building down? I had sympathy for her. I was trying to think about how to help the girl. I was just like, maybe you need to like go to the grill section at the store and get some toys. Like, why? Get something that's flame retardant and use that. I mean, like, what could she use? Asbestos condom. Yeah. I mean, you know, you learn how to take care of yourself in situations like that. That It's highly irresponsible to go out to a nightclub to areas that are highly populated knowing that you're going to burn asphalt literally (laughs) you're going to bake everything around you and unfortunately it looks bad the cgi oh this is yes the the, the sci-fi to come with birdemic it's all here (laughs) just the awful effects yeah some of it the real fire what little there was looks good but there's a lot of CGI flames in those shots. But it sells me that her powers have grown. If she's able to make asphalt boil, yeah, she is hotter than the sun. Yeah, no, I agree. It, she, you can see why the shop is concerned. You can see her potential to being dangerous. I mean, this is a classic scenario. I, species did this, right? Like, you know, the, if you want to demonize women's sexuality, if you want to make them seem like a threat, you, every time that they're aroused, they're a weapon. It's a classic trope. Yeah, I agree with you. I was sympathizing with her. I was more than willing to find a metal room with her. She is working for me as a new Charlie, actually. I She's a fiery girl. I think you're thinking with the wrong head on this one. <laughs> I, you know what? But you have to accept that this movie is like the cheap sci-fi. I'm, my comparative is Carrie 2002. Oh, I wish this was <laughs> Carrie 2002. If Firestarter with Drew Barrymore was a comparison to Sissy Spacek and Carrie, then this one is about going back to that miniseries. And here, I think it's a coin flip of which one's better. Yeah, I don't think it's worse. I honestly can say it's not worse. It may be as bad, but it's not worse. And, you know, I I pretty much hated that movie. So there we are. But yeah, taking it on the level of a dumb teen TV miniseries, she's got the right energy and flavor. Pairing her against this Vincent guy is a mistake. It takes forever for them to get together. They have no sexual chemistry together. None. Her whole hookup seems to literally be that he is researching her past and therefore, because he's into her, in theory, because he's researching her that she's into him i mean it's no they both like batman and superman <laughs> right yeah there's <laughs> they that. drop superhero names yeah they have they have this whole thing where they connect over talking about the different types of kryptonite yeah and they they spend some time if you remember from the first movie there was that scientist with a cane that george c scott killed with the death chop to the nose well, his <laughs> widow is here. She's got a very strange lending library policy. Like, all these secret <laughs> files are in the basement. And she, she's like, oh, sure, go through them. And, oh, you want to know more about this top secret thing? Let me tell you everything. But if someone wants to make a photocopy, oh, my God, no way. <laughs> yeah, everyone in this movie is free with information. The fact that libraries have theses and videotapes of mass chaos and death (laughs) from this illegal experiment done and anybody can walk in the fact that charlie can get this stuff 
I'll go with. Maybe she forged a relationship with the doctor's wife. Maybe because she works at the library, she has access. When Vincent shows up and he gets all the access just by walking in, then it just, I'm rolling my eyes and saying, this is way too easy. They're breaking some confidentiality laws somewhere. Yeah, here's the thing that we haven't mentioned. Vincent doesn't go there looking for Charlie. He thinks Charlie's dead. He's been told of this is the third time he's been told to find her. And he's like, she's dead. She doesn't exist. He's going there to find someone else, a Richardson, who goes and what, collects checks from the university every once in a while. And like, he's talking to the guy that hands out the checks. And like, yeah, you don't give this kind of information out. But he doesn't even go there looking for Charlie. They all just end up finding each other. I guess. That is the real confusion is he's told it's a top priority to find Charlie. And then the next thing he's told to do is research somebody else who is going to be quote unquote important to this plot but I mean <laughs> you've just contradicted yourself I mean well no no he had so many files he had to clear by Friday he had to clear them all Charlie was one of them that just kept coming back he kept saying case closed she's dead it was the top priority and again you have to wonder about the timeline why is she a top priority now well come on Stuart you wanted a ticking time clock they have one here Radiant Thunder which is robbing a bank I think I thought it was like a male dance review but okay (laughs) (laughs) Radiant Thunder from Down Under But yeah, all right. So yes, let's get into that. Yes, that he doesn't know it, but he's actually working for Rainbird, who is now running the research and development area of what's now the shop. Yes, and he found it not weird at all that this company he works for that deals with class action settlements has a research and development wing. (laughs) Yeah, but... Yes, he is now the shop. There is some guy, and it's an actor I'd seen in a couple other things. Oh, you've seen him. He is Chopper from Kiss vs. the Phantom of the Park. (laughs) He went on to do more important things like the original 48 Hours. and Maybe Sci-Fi did this a few years later. This felt like a Michael Ironside role to me. Mm, Yeah. This guy looked like Michael Ironside lost a few pounds and played this role. I honestly think that they were going off the X-Files and this was a low-rent Mitch Pileggi. You know, they they basically need someone for Rainbird to talk to because Rainbird has all of these plans. They need the Martin Sheen. You know, they're trying to reestablish that dynamic. Yeah, but the dynamic was that Martin Sheen ran the place and Rainbird was a hired gun, literally. And here it's weird to think that this guy answers to Rainbird. He doesn't. Rainbird answers to Joel, and Joel answers to the board. He does? But Rainbird has so much power behind him, he knows he can kill Joel at any time. But Joel gives Rainbird orders and gets mad at Rainbird when he doesn't do things right because Joel's answering to the board. At the very least, they're partners. Okay, I didn't understand the relationship, and quite frankly, I don't care. This is not the same Rainbird. If I was not entirely pleased with everything George C. Scott was giving me last week, sorry to say it, Malcolm McDowell, but, I mean... You're no George C. Scott. I mean, they burned the Native American right out of him, for one thing. I gotta say, (laughs) there's no mistaking this man, however much latex ghoul goop that they put on his face, for any kind of, yes, Native American spiritualist. I mean, this is bad, bad casting. They would have been better off putting Dennis Hopper in this role. Doesn't even change the accent. Like, every time I see Malcolm McDowell in this film, I I just feel bad for him. I'm like, you did Clockwork Orange. You did If. You did Oh Lucky Man. I know. And now you're not so lucky. Yeah, Yeah. he's signing at horror cons now because of Halloween. It keeps getting worse for him. But... 
I don't think he's ever seen Firestarter. He's just coming in and playing Malcolm McDowell. He's playing the same character here that he's done in Rob Zombie's Halloween movies and that he did in Tank Girl. He just give him a script and he will sneer and he will spit out the lines. Yeah, and it, it works in that name recognition way. You're more likely to tune in with little Alex in the evil part than you would be with a no-name ethnic person in the role. I mean, I get that he's a name. It's what gave me hope. Yeah, I, I understand why you'd use him, but don't make him Rainbird. I, make him a new villain. Make him something else entirely. And it wasn't until like hour two, I think, but they do call him John most of the time. They only call him Rainbird a few times. I didn't even know if he was Rainbird until they finally mentioned it. So I do think they try to distance themselves from that. They can't, unfortunately. But yes, they try, they should. Yes, so he's got a plan, and we've already kind of said in the plot, help me walk through this. It's the same plan as the first film, right? He wants to get her because he loves her and get her fire so he could do something well he has what was the x-men movie where they had the kid that sucked up all the powers that was the third one right x-men three with leech yeah exactly he has a leech here that can you know that that was what the guy talked about in metaphor i thought in the book was how he wanted to extract charlie's powers take it with him into the next life that he saw this spiritual element to her well now he has a superhero kid that can literally do that so he she can be stripped of her power if she is in close proximity to this little cody and he can at last use that power for whatever he might imagine all right let me give this film a backhanded compliment The second best thing of this film, the first being the sex scene on the car, the second best thing about this miniseries is the concept, escalation. They created a fire starter. Okay, now let's create six people to go against her, which would work if it was done X-Men style. I have named all of these characters. You know what? Their names are never said in the film. You know what I had to do is Google the actor's name and Firestarter Rekindled and see their picture to know the names of the characters. We get Paul, played by Dan Bird. He's the strongest one there who has the mental domination, the exact same power Andy had last time, only it's not making him have nosebleeds. And then he's usurped when Cody comes out and he can't mentally dominate Cody. The rest... There's one guy who's obsessed with surgery and doing brain surgery on teddy bears. There's a blind kid and there's a screamer, but they don't even have names, let alone personalities. I would like to care about these kids as lab rats as much as I cared about Charlie as a lab rat. Instead, they're just nameless evil. I just refer to them in my notes as the Sandlot. I'm like, okay, evil Sandlot (laughs) is now coming. And to me, again, it, this is X-Men. Maybe because they've talked about comic books in this film, but this just seems like that's what they're going for here. They, I mean, the fact that they copy Banshee out of all the characters. <laughs> and it even has the same sound. I think X-Men first yes. class saw this and were like, that's the Banshee sound. And to be fair, the first X-Men movie was over a year old, so they could have very well been emulating this. Yeah, I think it may not be accidental at all. Yeah. Hell, Maybe I should follow the lineage back to see if there's any connective tissue to Generation X, because Banshee was in that, too. Yeah, but nobody watched that movie, and everyone saw the X-Men movie. I mean, I think you don't pattern yourself off of failure that Fox failed to pick up as a series. You you copy last summer's hit and see if you can replicate it on sci-fi on the cheap. 
And that's, yeah, you're right. I, even I, I'd never thought of X-Men when I watched the movie last week because I was connecting it to King and horror in the book. But here it's unmistakable. There's no way you can not think about it. The problem is they delay the battle all the way to the end. And I never understand why they're attacking a bank other than they have a back lot set that has a bank on it. Everything <laughs> has such convenient signs. All of the, all of the signage in this movie, the post office, everything that's got these generic signs. And so because they have a bank with a big sign that says bank, uh, <laughs> I guess that's what they're going to attack. What's so weird to me is, like, there's all these chases that go on. I don't think any of them really matter. But at one point, Charlie's on this back lot. And we know it's a fake town because we see her go through, like, the, the main entrance. Later on in the movie, she goes back there. She's like, wait, this town's like a big back lot. Like, we already know that, like, this film just repeats things over and over. I guess that's how they got to that three-hour limit. Actually, Jacob, I think, yeah, she has an extended scene where she's literally just walking around a town and then she sits on a bench and she waits all night and sleeps on that bench. And we do spend several minutes watching that. (laughs) That is supposed to be a real town. And it is neither the fake town that she goes to, nor is it the real town that that fake town is a replica of. It's just they only had one set and they keep trying to pass it off as the same thing. Whoa. Okay. It is horrible, and it would have made more sense to me if we could have seen a scene of these kids testing the bank robbery. The fact that they have this back lot and we never see it, this is, when you remove all of the commercials, about two hours and 45 minutes. And if you guys thought the last movie was long stretches of talking, Mm, oh dear God, I was begging for action to occur. I actually, when I finished watching this movie, it's on Netflix, so I didn't have to pay a dime. I backed it up. I just watched it on fast forward to mark the times and to see when do the beats occur in this timing. And there was literally from the two hour mark to the two hour, 25 minute mark. My note is nothing happens. I feel like we get a lot of that. Like there's that videotape and we find out Vincent has a brother who's going to decode that video because it's some old format. Yes, it's VHS. Yeah, that's what I thought. I'm like, uh, no one has a VHS machine? I had a VHS machine in 2002. It's three-quarter, to be fair. It, it's three-quarter tape. It's it's a <laughs> slightly bigger. But, but yeah. All right. What's awful is that any player of that tape would be available at the library that housed it. And certainly, if he worked for the shop, they can get him his own tape. He doesn't need to go to his brother and put his life in jeopardy. Well, that, that whole storyline with the brother doesn't go anywhere. The brother gets away the end <laughs> yeah gill even goes there and gets to the brother as like yeah i have the tape there's no reason to do any more there's no reason to kill your brother yeah they have a backstory for vincent i guess i guess that should be complimented they tried to think of him <laughs> this as whole a thing with his dad yes the movie actually begins the very first scene is of him refusing to go into a hospital and see his sick father for reasons that i've never quite totally get but something to do with with not being able to face fear or or something and it's something that charlie works on him with maybe because she lost her father she's envious he has one and isn't spending time she drops that line i don't know if it sells barely there but we spend an enormous amount of time on it that they end up doing what they do is not worth the time invested, I think is fair to say. You could easily cut everything out about the brother, the dad, the hospital. You could almost cut Vincent out and the movie would 
not notice. Look, there's a character. I don't think you aren't even mentioned her in the plot summary. There's this whole subplot with Mary, who's a survivor of lot six and Gil goes after her. I didn't because it really, it really didn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And like she comes back from the dead. Like there's this whole thing. Doesn't matter. Hey, warriors, come out and play. Yay. I was happy to see Deborah Van Valkenburg again. <laughs> it's been a long time since she was teasing the warriors in one of my favorite cult movies of the 70s. But there were four survivors of Lot 6, is what we're told. Dennis Hopper, the parents of Charlie, and her. And why we need her... I don't know. I guess, you know, she gets an attack. It's kind of, you know, there's a huge lull. There's huge lulls in this movie throughout, but there was a huge lull and her being attacked and put into a bag over her head and her suicide fate. It's meant to give us a thrill in a thriller that has no exciting parts. It's also when we find out that where Vincent works is a bad place. Gil is there claiming to give her a check. We now see that it's not a check. Oh, I could see it was in a bad place from the wallpaper. Yeah. And it was Reno. <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> that's supposed to be the shock. Oh, my God. If Vincent finds Charlie, she'll be dead. That's fine. That Make that the reveal. We know that, though. Come on. I didn't. We know that reveal when we know that Rainbird is there. Right. But at this point, I didn't know how far down the conspiracy went. Were they trying to get the Lot 6 people because he wanted to harness their powers and bring them to the kids? This is when we find out there's death in store. And that's fine. That part of the Mary subplot at least told me something about Gil. It told me something about the operation the shop is doing now. But the fact... Then we get this scene that reminded me of that Metallica video where she's a corpse, but you hear her voice going, don't, don't do this. I'm not dead. You're having flashbacks of one. Yeah. (laughs) And then like the bone saw is coming at her, but her power is she can kind of cause a brownout condition with your electricity. She can't really do much. She turns on some appliances and when she dies, she gets the blender going real fast. (laughs) Yeah. So she stops the bone saw and comes back to life. All of this is merely filler. And I remember when I was listening to King's commentary about The Shining. When you make something for TV, you have to look at certain things and not pace it the way you may want to for the story. You have to say, okay, here's where the night ends. What is going to be our cliffhanger at exactly the midpoint of this story? Here's a commercial break. What's our hook so that people don't channel flip away? I have to think there's also some of, shit, we have to fill four hours and we're a half hour short. What are we going to do? Let's add Mary and Gil. It makes me mad, though, because why make it two nights when you don't have enough to fill two hours? And that's the frustration. Again, half of this film is recapping last week, recapping the origin story. No, it's worse than that. I mean, I feel like, I'll just go ahead and disclose this. I recently spent some time, and I don't want to make light of this, but I recently spent some time with someone that was senile and was dealing with Alzheimer's. And the, the I was in that mode of having to always tell them the same things over and over and over again. And that's watching this movie brought back all of that anxiety. I'm, I'm still like, I can't believe that, I'm, that they're having to repeat all of these things, and yet none of it looks like the movie we reviewed last week. I mean, that's what's so frustrating. So they keep telling us again and again and again what we already know, and it looks nothing like what was mediocre. This entire Mary subplot, she eventually gets cops to go with her or FBI to go with her to go to the shop. Yeah, why is the FBI... (laughs) 
investigating a murder. Like, that's a local police thing. Except that she's claiming it crossed state lines, the murderers from not Nevada. Yeah, I'm, I'm not buying the FBI getting involved here. But they go to the shop, and there's a dead guy in the freezer, and Malcolm McDowell goes, oh, is this a health code violation? I actually laughed. It is a legitimately funny line. One line in... Two hours, 45 minutes, but there was one line I enjoyed. I did laugh. Yeah, I think I might have cracked a smile. The only times I really laughed is any time this actress had to simulate sex. <laughs> I laughed any time the little kid tried to start a fire. That is a bad look. And they can't even get the hair blower right on this one. Yeah, the kids are where it really is a joke. I mean, that's, you know, Drew Barrymore kind of pulled it off for the most part. I never thought she was evil. I never thought she was scary. But I did believe that the fire came out of her. These kids, I mean, the glasses. And why make them kids again? Why couldn't they just be people from the drug trials? Charlie's not a kid anymore. Why must she fight against pipsqueaks? It makes it all seem horribly imbalanced. It does. I was not comfortable seeing a 20-something going up a bunch of 12 to 14 year olds but i see it as getting back to the spirit of the original which is kids with a terrible power you know and in that way it may have intended to stay closer to the spirit of king's story yeah i i agree that's why they chose to do it i i would actually use the word lazy they were lazy in trying to duplicate what was done last week rather than think about a progression but yes it it, it makes for a very silly viewing when we had the standoff comes about in the middle i'm guessing around the time that you would have been left on a cliffhanger and had to come back for the next night that cliffhanger is based on the idea yeah that these kids are a match for charlie and that as she tries to use her power they can suck it out of her and take her down only one can like I never buy that they're a match like when the blind kid they take his glasses off and he just doesn't have eye sockets I'm like oh that's what's he gonna do to her yeah why would he even be allowed in the nursery why aren't they like wedging him and throwing him in the closet he's clearly (laughs) not as good as the other kids (laughs) yeah in the fight at the end I actually felt bad for him because five of the kids were causing major fights even though Cody's way of doing it is he had to go up and touch people to kill them I'm like that's gonna take a long time to touch everyone in this town but in the whole time the blind kid's just sitting there on the bus stop what can he do and what is Vincent doing in all of this I get that he was our intro into this he got us to Charlie and he even exposed Charlie by having a failed sex scene with her that burned up his apartment but now that we have identified that this is Charlie what? how is he helping the story at all the kid makes him shoot himself in the foot and he spends the rest of the movie hopping around that's I think all that he does I, I guess what we're supposed to believe is as we move into night two that he and Charlie are in love and that Charlie's going to do a lot of crazy things to save him. I think they humanize each other, mm. maybe, in that <laughs> he doesn't want to see his father. He's very closed off to whatever that's going on. And so Charlie's going to tell him about the importance of family and the importance of having a father. And that he's going to, by the time this movie ends, decide he will go back and see his father. He dies yeah. before he can, but that's his arc there. Meanwhile, all Charlie wants to do is not get involved, not use her powers, 
hide. She's been hiding her whole life, and her dream is to live on an isolated mountain in Canada where no one can find her. And what Vincent does is convinces her, no, you need to get involved. When five little terrors are destroying a town, she's still there like, la-di-da-di-da. And it's Vincent who's going to push her and make her decide, maybe I should use my superpowers to stop the supervillains. Her original motivation for going to systems operations because she's told they have the gold kryptonite that they could take her power away, and so she wants that taken away. But then, yeah, Vince is going to convince her to keep the power because there's bad kids now. I I don't know. None of this stuff really matters. We could cut all of this. That's why she went? I thought she was misled that Vincent was going to help her. Yeah, by giving her gold kryptonite. That wasn't even clear to me. Okay, so that's what they were getting at. All right. Wow. All right. Yeah, I had no idea why she was walking into it. I wasn't quite sure either. I was a little confused. Yeah, no, good on you in catching that. But all of this stuff that <laughs> Vincent is supposedly doing for her is, I think, things that you could do much better with a better actor named Dennis Hopper, who shows up on night two. That other guy that Vincent was supposed to be finding that, yes, every now and then, once a year, picks up a check and is living without an address... It is Dennis Hopper. He finds Charlie when she's at the bus station. His secret power, superpower, is that he sees all of time at once. He knows the past, present, and future as one continuous thing. It's like it's a photo, and he can see all of it. So he knows everything that's going to happen. And I think, well, then here's the character she needs to be palling around from and learning from. We don't need Vincent at all. Yeah, but this character is an abortion. I mean, seriously awful writing here why does he do anything he does what is stated and he never wavers from this he sees the past present and future but it's immovable if he sees that he's going to be hit by a bus he can't not cross that street and not be hit by a bus the future he sees is inexorable and so he is a completely fatalistic character who then later on seems annoyed because he didn't know charlie was going to run out of the building early and ask him for a ride when she helps vincent he was trying to just leave her with rainbird for some reason is shocked didn't see it coming that she was going to leave early betrays her again and then just disappears is gone i expected a final <laughs> thing between Richardson and Charlie at the end, where Richardson's like, see, I saw it all along. I Vincent wasn't able to be saved. I saw that he couldn't be saved. But the shop is no more, and you can now go to Canada. Something at the end to make this character worthwhile. As it is, this character is completely useless. It's Dennis fucking Hopper, and if you cut him from this movie, it wouldn't change. Here's the thing. I, I get this is badly written. I get this is a bad movie. But yeah, it's Dennis Hopper. Do your crazy Dennis Hopper thing. He doesn't even have the energy to do that. They should have flipped it. Honest to God, Malcolm McDowell should be the one with this power. Dennis Hopper should be chewing the scenery as Rainbird. Except if Malcolm McDowell showed up, I'd just be going, all right, when's he going to betray them? When's he going to betray them? When's he going to betray them? When's the last time Malcolm McDowell played a good guy? Well, in the first Halloween, sort of. Kind of. Totally undermined by the second. But your point is valid, and yes, admittedly. But that's, lack of surprise is hardly this movie's worst sin. I mean, I would be fine if it were merely uninspired. Put that poll quote on your DVD. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Perfectly predictable. (laughs) But 
I, it really feels like the entire crew is making it up as they go. Like, there isn't a script. And I just have to think, this was hammered out in one, like, yellow jacket-fueled night of writing feverishly because the deadline was 8 a.m. And this is what they turned in, rough draft, and like, fuck it, I hit the page count. Yeah, it is from screenwriter Philip Eisner, who, Arnie, I believe, he wrote something that's going to be in the book, Event Horizon. Ah, oh, shit. Well, he can have a bad day. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't get their scenes. Like when Vince and Charlie, they go back to the shop, this fake town for whatever reason. Then they escape it again. And like there's a car that just happens to be driving by that they jump into. It's like it's this really weird scene. And then way down the line, you find out, oh, there's Dennis Hopper picking him up. Yeah. Like, wouldn't you establish that? Like with the shot, like he opens the door. and He's like, I knew you'd be here. It's bad movie making bad storytelling i think dennis might have only given them a couple days don't you feel like a couple of hours yeah Yeah. dennis dennis is here but dennis is not really here dennis is looking at his watch and dennis's people are waiting in the wing to whisk him away from the set and he's not working any overtime i get the sense his commitment level to this is really low and that's very very true is that i've known in working with some of these lower productions is that people are a get last minute you find out all of a sudden oh my god we can get dennis hopper something fell through we can't can use him and you end up writing him into a movie that doesn't even need him and maybe that's the case but even as badly as this character is arnie you're not wrong to call him out as being misused i still think he is more satisfying as a foil for charlie as a father figure than vincent is as a lover it's basically replaying the Rainbird situation, right? Because now she knows Rainbird is evil, so she needs another older man to pretend to be nice. Yes, except the older man is not there in the climax, and that just makes it even stranger. Although, there's nothing you can do with a climax like this. When children are robbing a bank with superpowers, I mean, I, you have to go back to Kid Code to watch shit this bad. <laughs> I, I ain't gonna lie... I was dozing off at this point because this movie is boring as hell. It Did is. they ever start robbing the bank? Because I woke up and there's explosions and I figured Rainbird just told him to go full on attack to try to get Charlie. I don't think they had any interior sets. I think they literally just had the street <laughs> scene so they could not actually get into the bank to rob it. But they, they were using their powers and hurting innocent bystanders. Yes, which, I got that. Which was not the plan, right? There's The guy Joel is, keeps yelling about how it's going to hell and he's embarrassed by the board. So whose orders are they following if they're hurting innocent people? Okay, this is Rainbird usurping Joel's authority. Joel wanted to put on a demo for the board saying, see how good these kids are. They're going to rob a bank. Think about them storming a beach. Totally equivalent thing. Yeah, think about it, people. Think about it. (laughs) And what Rainbird is saying is that, fuck you, we're going to show what real destruction is. We'll impress the hell out of the board by killing everyone. Given that they're the shop, maybe they would be impressed by homicidal initiative? That seems like why they would want to create these kind of creatures. Yeah, Joel himself has a speech about how the gun is obsolete in the 21st century, so why is he horrified that they're suddenly weaponized? Furthermore, how are these kids going to just rob a bank? I, I don't even get that. I don't want to get it. Like what? The blind kid was going to see through the wall and the banshee was going to yell and knock it down. Well, the telekinetics and the power suck. They could kill the guards and push everyone else away. Yeah, not anything better than what, you know, two sawed-off shotguns and a loud (laughs) screaming voice would do. But yes, they could do the equivalent of a bank robbery. 
But why would you want them to? And why would we want this to be the climax? This is embarrassing. I'd rather have had the middle of the movie with the fight in the playroom be the climax than this to be the finale. What I find funniest about this climax is so Charlie shows up, okay, I have to embrace my powers to save the day by burning the entire town down. She like <laughs> does what these kids were supposed to do successfully. <laughs> I think she's just out to prove that nobody is a bigger badass when it comes to... <laughs> yeah, and then I'll set off an atom bomb just to make a point. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not over the hill yet. I might be 26, but I'm, I'm still little Charlie at heart, and I can fry you. Yeah, the ability to create fires is a bad defensive power. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to really know how she could have used it for good. I guess cook meals for the homeless. <laughs> she could have put up maybe a ring of fire around the bad kids or something, but yeah. Yeah, because they can't actually kill these kids. I thought they killed Cody, but he shows up at the end. She does kill Rainbird in a really creepy scene. Well, you know what? I actually feel like this is the right impulse. If we've always wondered if maybe there was a pedophile instinct or a yes. sexual desire, and if she can't have sex, she's a virgin, then maybe they should have gone that. Maybe they should have gone with it even a little bit further. Yeah, He's sniffing her sports bra at one point. Oh, yeah, that was creepy as hell. He does come off a little bit like stalker. There's a fine line between a stalker and a spy. But she should have sex with him. Why not? Why not get it all out? I mean... Because Malcolm McDowell's a little gross these days. I don't know. You know, he's got a little charm with that melted face and his... is the accent, right? Close your eyes. I think that he still got it a little bit, but, uh, you know, they didn't go there for whatever reason. And uh, we get a strange scene of her kissing him to ash. I liked it in that it was the consummation... I liked it in that there's no question if Rainbird's coming back for Firestarter 3, where I imagine they do F-I-R-3 starter. <laughs> Can I, we just watch a Prodigy concert at this point? I, I feel like that would be a more entertaining Firestarter than any of these films. But the ending of this is truly weird. Dennis Hopper doesn't come back. Vincent's dead. So she, a total stranger, goes to the hospital to tell... <laughs> His father and brother, I'm sorry your son is dead, but he did good things and he meant to come back. Does she say he's dead? No, she never says because it. I, she's like, well, he meant to come up. They're like, well, he didn't, but he yeah. really wanted to. Yes. She does apologize for their loss. No, no. She apologizes for him not making it to the hospital like he promised to do. He was supposed to be there last night. They don't know he wasn't there because he's a corpse. I swear she starts by expressing condolences for the loss of their son. No, it doesn't. didn't play that way to me. Yeah, I agree with Stuart. It seems like she left that detail out. Yeah. If that's the case, this scene is even more fucked up. It is. Because she's telling them, oh, he meant to come. I mean, she's saying that, like, he did a good thing. He helped me. You should be proud of him. I have a feeling that's, like, post-mortem. It should be. I mean, you, would, you wouldn't want some strange woman to come in and say, I'm so sorry, and then disappear, I mean, that you've never met before. And she literally gets on a bus for Canada. Even stranger, after the bus is pulled away, I counted. There are 30 seconds. I thought maybe they'd put the credits here, why we're, <laughs> why we're just looking at an empty bus station. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Has she lost her powers at this point, or does she still have, like... Because the assumption is Cody, who could suck powers, 
or suck energy at least. He wants to feed off of her. They talk so much about gold kryptonite. Like, I feel like that's the teaser you end on. It's like going back to X3 with Magneto. Does he have his powers at the end or not? I took it as she was such a badass. Cody wanted it all and then couldn't handle it. And so she showed she has the most power because she was able to overdo him. He falls down unconscious. I never took it as it hurt her at all. It just seems weird that we spent so much time talking about gold kryptonite then. What movie was it where we saw this where like this person's like, give me this knowledge. I want it. I want it. And then Crystal Skull. Crystal Skull. (laughs) No, the uh, was that the one one you've already repressed? We just recorded it a couple weeks ago. (laughs) Let me see it all. Well, fans, you can go hear it for yourself. (laughs) What I found absolutely weirder, weirdest, more than that 30 seconds of filler of the bus station, is they show the six kids. They went back to the shop with no adults. They're just hanging out in an empty place. They're orphans. Playing pinball for some reason. Yeah, I don't understand anything. Like, I've understand very little in this film up to this point, and now it's gone really da-da on me. <laughs> They've had several opportunities to bow out. Not gracefully, but they could have at least ended. The fact that it's still going on leads me to believe it was literally about getting to a certain kind of time. That they had to just stretch this as far as they could. I don't feel like any arc has been achieved here. Yeah, but these kids need to be in prison or in a lab or something with real authorities, good authorities, not shop authorities doing something about them. They're roaming free for five three starter. Honestly, I wasn't even thinking about them. I was so grateful it was over. (laughs) So Jacob Stewart, is this the worst Stephen King movie we've ever seen? Jacob. Oh, so I assume we're all giving it not recommends. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I didn't even bother asking. Is it the worst? Is it? Yeah, it's worse than Mangler 3 or whatever that last is. Here's the problem. It's long and none of it matters. That is the biggest problem for me is that it is three hours and there's maybe 40 minutes of story here that actually matters. There's so much that just it, it comes and it goes. It doesn't play out. Yeah, Stuart, they're trying to fill a time slot and they don't care what they're putting in front of the screen. So in that sense, I don't know. I'd probably watch all the corn films before this no, again. Oh, come on, man. They're really? shorter. They are shorter than this. Like, this is... Yeah, but all just... of them cumulatively or just no, one? No, no, no. <laughs> I said any, any, yeah, any one of those corn films I'd watch before this again. Like, the problem is, is how long this is and how little of it actually matters for me. So, quite possibly. I mean, I'd, I'd easily do Mangler 3 before I'd watch this one again. So, yeah, it's it's pretty far down there, if not on the bottom. Stuart. Definitely not. It's a solid not recommend. It's bad. But, you know, with, when it comes to Stephen King, we have to, to deal with gradients. Just calling it a red arrow is not enough. <laughs> This is, I would say, a better than a fourth of the stuff that we watch. That it's really the problem is it's dull. We have this smoking hot girl and she's got all these crazy powers, and this thing is a whole pack of Nicorette gum. I mean, there is <laughs> nothing smoking off of this thing. There's no sizzle, there's no camp, there's no fun. The only fun comes in that early sex scene, and that was it. And then they kind of just forget about everything. It is neither a thriller nor a comedy. I mean, it doesn't even work as a she's all that teen movie. And and I thought that 
the director could at least have done that. So what's what's worse than this then? Oh, but so much of the night shift is more painful, more inept. This has just sort of a gray dullness to it all. It is comparable to the Carrie 2002 miniseries, maybe slightly worse than that. But all you really need to know is to stay away. And I agree. This thing, I mean, obviously it's a flaming red arrow, but I say, yeah, it's on par with, I'd say the rage carry two, only it's twice as long. So that gives carry to the edge. Oh, that's so much better. <laughs> yeah, I'm rage two was fun. There was some fun there. This movie has none of that. And fun. it's on par with the carry TV movie. It's on par with the shining TV movie, which is really one of, uh, it's better than that. Oh, there's so much to laugh at, though, in that. No, no, no. I'll give it a better compliment. It is better than The Shining. No, I can't give it that. I think I had watched that again. That is just so bad it's entertaining. This is just bad. You know what this one might be uncomparable with? Remember when Maximum Overdrive had the TV movie remake? Trucks. Trucks. It feels like trucks, doesn't it? And that was one of the worst. But yeah, I don't think it's the very worst. There's so many movies we've already covered that I'd actually have to re-listen to all of our reviews to truthfully rank. Yeah, I've pushed them all out of my mind. <laughs> I think that's the real issue is how can we rank them when we've repressed so many? The Children of the Corn are just a blur of maze rows. But it is definitely in the bottom 10%. I'd say 20 <laughs> <laughs> but why are we haggling? Yeah. I mean, my God, let's just burn it. Let's burn this whole segment. I would yeah. burn the book. I would burn both movies. Firestarter is an inferior carry after all. It's too bad because I think, subtextually speaking, there's more rich things to explore. But Charlie as a character, blech. Well, it is not over. We got to Firestarter a little too soon because we're going through King's works in order of publication. However... We're getting Fire 3 Starter. No. Uh, They are going to reboot the series. It is in active pre-production at Universal. And Mark Smith from Vacancy is writing the script. Okay. Well, you know what? It's not a bad idea. I'll give it that. Yeah, I hope I hope they aim for something higher. I actually think this is a case where they can write a movie better than the book is based on. And th- by the way, I the same article mentioned they're rebooting Maximum Overdrive 2. Mm. I'm not sure anyone can fix that. What happened was when De Laurentiis died, there was some issues with who owned the rights. But now Universal has come out and said, okay, we own these movies and we're putting them into production. (laughs) But will Marvel let them have another Green Goblin? (laughs) (laughs) But we hope you've enjoyed this Return to King. Head over to booksandnachos.com this summer as I cover the Dead Zone, Firestarter, a couple more Bachman. We gotta get to... Cujo is the next Stephen King film for us to review. We need to cover other things. Other franchises have popped up. With it being summer, of course, we have to go with what's in theaters. And this is a series that I have never seen any installment of. There's five of them, and I've never taken a Mission Impossible. We're gonna have to revisit Limp Biscuit, aren't we? Didn't they do that cover for one of the films? They did, yes. Uh, oh wow! I think it was the second movie. That tells you how long ago it was when Limp Biscuit was a thing. That was popular. <laughs> My biscuit is very limp. Thinking about it, <laughs> and also keep in mind. 
out this Friday for gold level donors, Jurassic Park 3. We are building towards Jurassic World that opens this Friday. That review will be out next week. You can hear all our Jurassic Park reviews as well as our Indiana Jones reviews. And if you want the Poltergeist reviews as well, you can find all the details by clicking the banner at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com. I guess you could say we have too many irons in the fire. So we'll be back next week with Mission Impossible. And until then, consider this fire extinguished. Did we get the audio? We got it. We did? My God! Holy Christ, I knew something was going to happen, but I had no idea. And we got it. We got it all on tape. And it's good enough to stand up in court right up in the goddamn Supreme Court. What are you looking so miserable about? Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. We hope you've enjoyed the show. I saw you die. No, you saw me burn. It's far more painful. Now that you've heard the movie review, head to booksandnachos.com to hear Arnie's reviews and analysis of Stephen King's original novels. He has no idea how interesting his life is about to become. And come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com to hear our reviews of other Stephen King movies, such as Carrie, The Shining, Children of the Corn, and dozens more in our archive section. Stop what you're doing and open your laptop. Also at our site, hear reviews of other films such as Maniac, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Saw, Riddick, Friday the 13th, The Avengers films, Star Trek, and more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com and come back each week for another new movie review. You like Superman? I like that more. While at nowplayingpodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. You can go now. I said you can go now. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. We don't have any more money. We don't have anything left to sell. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Do you believe in destiny? No, sir. I believe in cash flow. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. We're ready when you are, Charlene. Now Playing is edited by Heath and Arnie. He's overdone it before and wound up in bed. He's doing something to his brain. Could kill him. Now playing credit narration by Brock. A little nervous about this. What if I go on a bad trip or something? The Firestarter films are the property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. You like having plausible deniability, don't you? Well, from a legal standpoint, yes. Then don't ask too many questions. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. You see, it's easy to tell a lie when you don't know what the truth is. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2015, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. You're all I've got in this world. I'm 
today we're discussing Firestarter Rekindled, starring Marguerite, 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 yeah, that's how I would try it. Marguerite Moreau, I think. Marguerite Moreau. Still haunted by the... (laughs) Haunted, no. And oh my god, I want to suck Keith David's dick. I want to... Oh my god, Keith David, no. Oh my... (laughs) I guess you could say we have too many irons in the fire. (laughs) Is that your in line? No. Okay. I'm looking for... Did you just make up some fire pun? Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't matter, yeah. So we'll be back next week with Mission Impossible. What did I say last week? Or just last show? I can't remember. Something about burning. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You just, said some just, shit. Just do Jim Carrey from The Mask. Smoking. Like, it doesn't even matter at this point. <laughs> Nobody cares about fire. If anyone is listening to this show, I'll be impressed. Ain't nobody you mean care. this was not going to draw down the private server? <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't need to get the dedicated server for this one. No, even the ones that listen to every show are gonna be tortured by this one. They were like, me, maybe not. Maybe I'll just go listen to Friday the thirteenth again. And until then, consider this fire extinguished. Oh I do. <laughs> <laughs>